Hello and welcome to Lunch and Learn. I'm Jeremy Hodder, Supervisor of Risk Management Services here at MICA. Thanks for joining us today. Today's presentation will begin promptly at 12.15 and end at 12.45. We may go over time to answer questions, but if you must leave us at any point during the presentation, the full webinar, along with any questions, the PowerPoint and any additional material, will be uploaded to the MICA website within 24 to 48 hours of the webinar's conclusion. As we have several offices and practices attended today, you'll be placed on mute throughout the presentation to eliminate any background noise. You can ask questions, and we certainly encourage you to do so throughout the presentation by using the Q&A button on the toolbar at the bottom of your screen. Questions will only be seen by the presenters. We want you to give us feedback, and we're always grateful for your thoughts and suggestions. There are two options. Firstly, following the conclusion of the webinar, a survey page will open your browser. If you don't wish to complete this, the survey will also be sent later today to the email address that you registered with. I'd like to welcome our speaker for today, Susan Jones, Senior Risk Management Consultant here at MICA. Sue has worked in the healthcare field for over 22 years as a healthcare risk management stroke patient safety specialist, researcher and educator. Sue has garnered extensive experience as a clinical risk manager for hospitals and trauma centres, and also managed a 12-physician outpatient paediatric and adolescent practice, where she helped train the practice staff in instituting and operating an electronic medical record. Sue earned a bachelor's degree magna cum laude from Temple University in Philadelphia and obtained her nursing license in 1997. She also holds a certificate in paralegal studies from the Harris School of Business, obtained her Six Sigma training in 2010 and became a certified professional in healthcare risk management in 2013. Over to you, Sue. Good afternoon and welcome to Micah's Lunch and Learn webinar. Today, we are going to talk about disaster preparedness. The objectives of today's webinar are, are the following. Define what constitutes a disaster. Develop awareness in recognizing and responding to disasters. Understand your role in a disaster and embrace ongoing staff education and training to maintain what we call a ready state. So what is a disaster? Well, if you look at Wikipedia, Wikipedia defines a disaster as a serious disruption occurring over a relatively short period of time of the functioning of a community or a society involving widespread human, material, economic, or environmental loss and impacts, which exceeds the ability of the affected community or society to cope using its own resources. In addition to that, what we are going to talk about too is what is a business definition of a disaster, and that is a calamitous, distressing, or ruinous effects of a disastrous event such as a drought, a flood, a fire, a hurricane, a war, of such scale that it disrupts or threatens to disrupt critical functions of an organization, society, or system for a period long enough to significantly harm it or cause its failure. So we're just going to give you a couple of different types of disasters. Obviously, we've got our natural made disasters, which could be anything from wildfires to famine, storms, floods, lightning, dust storms, earthquakes, dam failures, and mudslides. We also have um, in Arizona, although we don't generally fall victim to earthquakes and hurricane threats, wildfires have been a threat to some communities by what if the event was caused by, say, a utilities failure, a natural gas explosion, a burst main water, or maybe a lightning strike, which results in a fire in your office on a stormy afternoon when every treatment room is filled. 
Man-made disasters on the opposite side are things like war, technological, environmental, violence as uh, civil disturbance, biologicals or bioterrorism, dam failures, nuclear plant system issues, accidents such as planes, trains, or automobile issues, or chemical spills. Another one which is not necessarily a man-made but more natural is what is occurring right now with we know in the state of Arizona in particular in the country is the flu. So the question would be for a disaster, maybe some of you have never thought about this, is what do you do when 80% of your staff calls out tomorrow because they've come down with the flu and you have a huge influx of patients, how would you handle that? And that would be considered some sort of type of disaster. So there are requirements that are put in place by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, otherwise known as CMS. They put these in place in 2016, and these were um, for hospitals and ambulatory care centers to establish consistent emergency preparedness requirements for healthcare providers participating in Medicare or Medicaid funding. Basically, it was designed to increase patient safety during emergencies and establish a more coordinated response to natural and man-made disasters. Those uh, situations had to be put into effect by 2017. So they're a couple of years old at this point in time. But there's basically four main requirements that we're gonna be looking at and preparing for a disaster. The first one is creating your emergency plan. First, you want to analyze where are you most vulnerable internally and externally. Say you're on a busy street um, where you're near what could be considered a flash flood area, or say you're a rural clinic that is near a power plant. So it's going to be individualized to where your practice location is and the type of patient population that you handle. Okay. The plan should be tailored to the individual practice, the type of patients that you treat, and the types of procedures you perform in the office. You're going to want to know what are your important phone numbers besides the 911, what's your local ambulance number, the patient's emergency contact, the fire department, the police department, local hospital, all those types of things. You're going to need to have emergency equipment, supplies, and medications in, um, in your office, i.e. a crash cart or a crash box oxygen, are you um, BLS or ACLS certified, those types of things. So our staff need to be trained and responsible in an emergency so that they know what their role is should an emergency occur. You're going to definitely want to drill um, for these emergencies. This will help reduce your staff's anxiety and increase their confidence should an, a disaster occur. The old saying is if you practice it, then you take the panic out of it. How long does it take EMS to respond to your 911 call? How far is your practice from the nearest hospital? These are all things you're gonna to need to be thinking about. Based on that risk assessment, you wanna develop that emergency plan using all hazard approach, focusing on the capabilities and the capacities of your office that are critical to preparedness for a full spectrum of emergencies or disasters specific to the location of a provider or supplier. Analyze where you're most vulnerable, as I said earlier. Begin by performing that analysis of the effect of the wide variety of disasters on your office setting, including the patient safety, your staff safety, and the safety of the physical building. Protection of your medical and business records as well. From that analysis, you can begin to evaluate the risks based on the probability of the occurrence and how prepared you are to deal with them. So it'll be your staff and their responsibilities, put the plan in writing and share it with your staff, the police department, the fire department, your business neighbors, anybody you think needs to have that information. You wanna definitely have an emergency 
preparedness checklist for what you can do in an emergency. What are your evacu evacuation plans? Who's going to call an evacuation? Where are you going to meet up at the, at the evacuation point? And you're going to have to have emergency preparedness kits for home and office because there may be situations where there's a disaster where your employees or yourself as the practitioner live and you may need to um, evacuate your own home. After you've done that risk analysis and decided where you're most vulnerable, what you want to do is develop written policies and procedures. And these would be based on that assessment. And things to consider would be, again, staffing, um, business communication, business records, medical records, evacuation plans, and restoration and repair of the office if need be. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Part of that policies and procedures too is that you want to review your insurance cover coverage once you've identified your vulnerabilities. Obviously you have medical liability insurance coverage, otherwise known as malpractice insurance, but that does not cover disasters. You're gonna wanna make sure you speak with your attorney to make sure that you have some general liability, which might include property insurance or business interruption insurance. And again, uh, MICA does uh, insure for medical liability insurance, but we do not do the general liabilities insurance. So we would direct you to your business attorney to talk to them about those needs that you might have. Once you've done that, you want to prioritize events that may be unique to your setting. For example, women's health centers have long been targets for bomb threats and violence. Another one is mental health offices or pain management clinics where you're dealing with patients who are in chronic and acute pain and who may act out or become disruptive other than in a different type of office. So you definitely want to be looking at your patient population um, and the type of practice that you run. Keep in mind, as I said earlier, that your, your, your patients and your staff will need to develop a home preparedness plan as well. And you wanna make sure that you keep your plan simple. Identify the tasks for each staff member. Use this to develop a disaster response plan. You wanna create a checklist of all the things that you'll need to be doing. You wanna build an emergency kit that would include flashlights, gloves, medications, bandages, pens, paper, RX pads, blood pressure cuff, whatever, kind of thinking of yourself as an ambulatory uh, mobile auxiliary unit. You want to create an emergency contact list, and that would definitely be on paper and electronically, just in case um, you need a backup, to include your nearest police department, fire department, um, on-call hospital, your insurance carriers, patients' emergency contacts, staff contacts, and all those types of things. You want to conduct drills and critique them. There was a situation not too long ago, I guess about a year ago, about a, a Maryland company that had been um, had an active shooter come into their premises, and the Maryland Police Department had just finished drilling for um, active shooter just two weeks prior, and they said because of it being so active in their mind and so fresh and new, they knew exactly what to do, and had they not had done that, there probably would have been more casualties than there were. So we definitely want to make sure we're practicing and everybody knows what their roles are in a disaster um, situation. And then you want to recognize that healthcare workers will be at risk for trauma-related disorders post-event, and you want to plan for that, whether that's through your EAP organization, have a critical incident response team, or have somebody, people available to talk to these people who may have trauma-related effects of the, the situation. 
The third most important thing is the communication plan. You want to develop and maintain a communication plan that complies with both federal and state law. Patient care must be well coordinated within your facility across all healthcare providers and with the state and local public health departments and emergency systems. Know who to reach at your state and local level government levels and the emergency agents you need to be in contact with for updates and assistance. And how are you going to contact your patients and your staff? Will it be through email, text, your web page, Facebook, phone trees, office answering services? I can tell you when Hurricane Sandy hit in New Jersey a couple of years ago, um, my family lives there and they all lost their power. So they had no way to communicate with each other through landlines or through their computers or anything. A lot of them though did take their phones and recharge their phones in their cars. And so they were able to communicate with each other on Facebook through the social media to let each other know that they were okay. So this may be an avenue you may need to use in a, in a disaster. So th think about all the different ways that you're gonna communicate with your staff and with your patients to keep them up to date as to what's going on and what the next steps are. And then we have, again, we want to have the emergency plan. You want to communicate the evacuation. And w when you're doing these type of emergency drills, you might be announcing it verbally through an email or a text message or with an alarm. Include how patients will be notified of the evacuation before, during, and after the event. Determine who is responsible for giving the evacuation order. This will most likely be the physician or the office manager. Identify specific staff responsibilities, including who will oversee evacuating the patients currently in the office, both those patients who are well-bodied and those who may need assistance. Determine how your patient records will be protected and are transported. Identify available transportation for the evacuation. Determine a meeting place for all employees once the evacuation is complete. Identify at least two exit routes from your work area, just in case one is blocked. Identifying any employees with disabilities who may require special attention during this evacuation. And it should be clarified how these individuals will be assess assisted and by whom. Determine how the office will be secured during and after the evacuation. Identifying what, if anything, should be taken from the office and who should be responsible for seeing that that item or items are removed and secure. Identifying who will communicate with emergency personnel. Determine if any personnel should remain behind after the evacuation. Identify a way to account for employees and patients during and after the evacuation. Identify the person who will be responsible for notifying the public utilities, your electric, telephone, water, gas, etc., etc., companies that the building or office has been evacuated. Identifying and obtaining any special equipment that may be required for the evacuation, such as safety goggles, masks, gloves, etc. So there's a lot to think about when you're getting to drill for an emergency. If you need to evacuate, you want to identify who the decision maker is, who's going to make that decision to evacuate and where to go. Define the staff's responsibilities, and we need to do that in advance so when the time occurs, people know what they're going to do and they don't point a finger at somebody else thinking, I thought you were doing that. Identify the supplies you're going to need and develop a medical office re-entry plan. So you wanna also think about your patient records. You might be electronic and those electronic records might be backed up to a cloud. In that case, you probably would be fine, but you may not be backed up to the cloud and may need to do a backup, or you may still be living in the paper world. If your office has a computerized record system, in the event of a disaster, the information can be downloaded onto a disk while hard copies of charts must be gathered and carried out. 
Avoiding the difficulties described above can be easy as scanning a file, document imaging, and electronic medical records not only fast and secure access to patient information, they also make relocation of such files as easy as loading the information onto a disk. Another benefit to electronics is the ability to easily back up the data and store the information at an off-site facility so that you do not, do not need to go through this, especially if there's a, a disaster occurring right then and there. However, in the event of paper files are damaged in a disaster, it's going to take time and expense to restore or reconstruct the lost information. You'll probably want to cre create and retain a record of the disaster event and list any and all patient records that were affected. And with the recovery efforts, successes, and failures in recovering on them, this will allow for easy retrieval of general information regarding the event should any legal or accreditation issues arise subsequent to the emergency. In addition, failure to protect patient or health information, even in an emergency, could lead to liability for patient injury or breach of confidentiality that you want to remember. So you want to minimize business interruption as well. So what if you can't use your office? Where are you going to practice medicine? Meeting the needs of your patients. Even though your office is closed, you may still need to take care of your patients. Where and how are you going to do that? The phone communication, as I said earlier, how are you going to communicate to your patients where they can be treated? Important documents um, that need to be in a safe place, and these are not just patient files, these are your business files as well. Um, contracts you have with vendors, all that type of information that would be considered business records. Contacting your insurance carriers to let them know what's going on, and also contact, con contacting to get repairs and remodeling done, um, and if you're going to need a temporary location. Again, as I talked before, um, it, you know, trying to keep it as business as usual. What needs repair? Who can help? How long can you afford to stay closed? You'll probably want to maintain a list of vendors you typically use for building and equipment repairs. And again, you want to drill, 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 drill. I can't say this enough. Um, practice does make perfect. And if you're drilled and you're doing it and it's not an actual event, people are going to know when it does occur in the actual event to be able to kind of go into action mode and not go into panic mode. Again, more on conducting drills, you want to develop and maintain a strong training program with your plan. Test your plan and your program, including initial and annual trainings. Conduct drills and exercises or participate in an actual incident that tests the plan. Often a lot of hospitals uh, will do that, they'll do with a local or state level um, to prepare for things like snowstorms or mass casualty events. And definitely you want to use role playing with drilling and make it as authentic as possible. You want to include staff members and their role in the emergency and look, look for ways you can improve, if any. The following factors must be considered when following a mock emergency drill too. When and how the drill will occur. What's the type of event that you're going to use in your drill based on your patient population and where your physical location is. How the initial alarm will be sounded the type of damage or injuries that will result, individuals who should be notified of the drill, the roles that people will play in the drill according to what they should say and how they should behave, and any special effects, clothing, or equipment required to make the drill as realistic as possible. And again, as we said before, you want to maintain an emergency readiness kit. And this is just a list of, of safety equipment available including fire extinguishers, safety showers, eye wash stations, spill kits, gloves, flashlights, duct tape, eye protection, 
and all of that. And does your practice currently right now have a, an emergency readiness kit? If not, this is where I would start and at least get together and put an emergency kit together first. And then you want to make sure that your emergency plan, you have your, your emergency plan, your policies and procedures, your communication plan, your training and your testing the plan. And this is all based on the risk analysis that you've done of your practice. And that concludes this webinar for disaster preparedness. And I'm going to take you to questions and answers. And I have a few questions and answers already um, that I will have come into the queue. So I'll go ahead and address them. Um, the first one is, what type of insurance should I have um, since you said that medical liability does not cover these types of situations? You want to, again, talk to your business attorney about the types of insurances you should have. There's the, all sorts of insurances out there. There's flood insurance, there's business interruption insurance, which is basically covers the financial costs, um, which would be revenue, rent or lease payments, Relo uh, relocation, employee wages, taxes, loan payments, that type of thing. You also want to look at, you know, what is your general liability, your commercial property, your property insurance. These are all part of a business owner's policy categories. Again, I'm not the expert on these, so I would highly recommend that you reach out to your business attorney to discuss these types of insurance plans that you should have. Second question I have coming in is, Staff who can't get to the office, how do we contact them? Again, like I said, it depends on what works for you, and you're going to have to look at this by doing your risk assessment. It might be a phone tree where you develop it, where it starts with the position, the position calls the office manager, the office manager calls a lead MA, the lead MA calls the front office person, however you want to use it. You might want to use your social media or web portal. You might want to communicate via email. You might want to communicate using text, whatever's going to work for you, and this would probably be the same with contacting your patients, whichever is going to work. The third question I have coming in is, how do I notify my patients, especially if they are, I have a very large patient population, say like there's 4,000 patients out there. Again, I would say the same thing as communicating with your employees is use what you use best with your patients. Is it texting? Is it through social media? Is it through your web portal? Is it calling them, even though that, that probably wouldn't be fruitious with uh, 4,000 people? But again, look at your practice, look at the type of communications you use now with your patients and see what's going to work best. And lastly, the question I have is, <clears throat> is what are the micro resources that are available out there? Well, we do have a wonderful risk resource um, that is called Disaster Preparedness in the Physician's Office. And this is um, a wonderful little uh, resource that we use that um, actually spells out quite nicely what to do, telling you all the different steps to take. And at the end of that risk resource, we have some references that we refer to, um, to the American Academy of Family Practice, also to the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, Physician Practice, managers, an uh, uh, organization called www.ready.gov, which gives you a wealth of information about all different types of disasters, toolkits you can use to prepare for them and get ready for them. And also there's a toolkit to the FEMA, um, www.femafema.gov, which also has a wealth of information on there. And these are all linked right in from the risk resource that we have um, from the Michael website, or you can call our hotline at area code 
808-2137, and we'll be happy to send you a copy of that risk resource and also with this webinar. That concludes our time for today. Thank you very much and hope to see you virtually next time.